OddCert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay respect to elders, past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the OzCert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, I'm joined by Julie Gillespie. With Are You OK Day, we're taking the time to talk about mental health, a topic that in the high-pressure world of cybersecurity needs plenty of thoughtful attention. We'll then get an update from my co-host, Beck, and OzCert's Mike Holm about what they're seeing in the local cybersecurity space, as well as a look at events and training that OzCert will be offering in the coming weeks. We look forward to bringing you the best of the Australian cybersecurity industry with fascinating insights and great stories from the field and lessons you can take back to your workplace to better protect your organisation's critical assets. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in health and wellbeing? Certainly. So I've been doing this role, I guess, for the past three and a half years now. I used to be a director of operations and product development back in my previous life. I'm also a cosmetic chemist, so a bit of fun fact about me today. But I've also had lived experience with mental ill health for the past 30 years. So on and off, I've had depression, anxiety, and I've had four major breakdowns over the years. I got into this field out of a, I guess, a self-serving purpose of advocating for people like myself and helping others to understand, you know, how to help someone like me. So I started off, it's just over three years ago now, I did my mental health first aid course as a participant and I loved it. It just made so much sense to me. And soon after that, I said, right, this is, I can do this. You know, the, I love training, I love instructing, I love the facilitation, and this topic is just golden. So that kind of got me out of a really hard and heavy place and gave me something to do. And so The amazing part of that is that you did some vocational training that actually spoke to you. So much vocational training doesn't speak to people's lived experiences. <laughs> I know. And as I'm doing it, it's like, Gosh, I wish someone did that. Oh, wow, that would have that seems so simple now because so many people have this difficulty of stepping in in case they say the wrong thing or, you know, Julie's fine, she's confident, she's, you know, off there and, you know, making all of these wonderful things happen. No, I'm dying inside people. But, you know, the training gave this view and into someone else's world that was really unique and beautiful and it was um, fantastic to be able to do that and use this lived experience for something good. So it's become the so, superpower. That's amazing. And yeah, like I said, being able to actually have lived experience and being able to, because that's often one of the key things in any sort of instructional training or any sorts of vocational training is having someone who understands the real deal, the real pressures and so forth. When we talk about mental health, what does that mean? I mean, it's been so much in the spotlight over the last you know, 18 or 24 months all the lockdowns and the pandemic and so much stuff. And we hear about people talking about the mental health impact, but what is mental health? We name things without kind of understanding the the meaning behind it. So it becomes something that can be quite flippant and used in ways that don't make sense anymore. So mental health is just kind of a neutral word. And what it is, it, it frames, it's a state of well-being in which the individual realizes their own abilities can cope with normal stresses of life, 
can work productively and fruitfully and is able to make a contribution to their community. So this is the beautiful definition that the World Health Organization has given it. So breaking that down is that we're talking about a state of well-being. So something that moves and changes and fluctuates. And that's usually dependent on our situation, our personal resource, the support network, our own self-awareness or awareness of what's happening around us. And knowing that it's not just one thing, we either have mental health or don't. Because it's no longer binary, it's multifaceted. If one area starts to not go so well, we've got these other things we can work on. So it's something that we can build and we need to activate and do things about and connect into things that bring us satisfaction and being productive and fruitful. Like there are beautiful words in and around that. So it's something more than just how we're feeling today. So we're really talking about, it's almost like a, it, because we often talk about people having good mental health and bad mental health and that polarizes it. And, you know, yeah. it doesn't actually talk about it being on a continuum where you can be, you can be running at 80%. But if you're running it, you know, if you're running with a 20% deficit for a week, that's not 20% per day. That's actually cumulative, isn't it? And it, it, it's wearing, I guess. Yeah, it's exhausting, right? Because you're then looking at the things that you're needing to fix and the, you know, what you're lacking. And, you know, and I think we we start to look that way and become a little bit pessimistic and a bit downhearted about certain things. And that can become quite a slippery slope. Whereas working at 80% every day is also cumulative. Hmm. You know, and if we pay attention to that and it's like, yeah, you know what? You know, there's a few things that haven't been going so well. Guess what? It's appropriate to feel a little bit down at the moment. You know, a project that didn't go your way or a relationship that started to fracture, a loss in the family, disconnection, you know, any of those things where we should feel those things. And they're not nice things to feel and they are uncomfortable, but they're also real. Obviously, we're doing this podcast for OzCert and there's going to be a lot of cybersecurity people listening in. The world of cyber is, you know, part of it is lots of projects of significance within organisations, but a part of it is also pretty high pressure where there is a crisis or an event or something that happens. And we often think, well, the breach was yesterday, we worked for 12 hours, we sorted it out. Um, the boss was really nice. Let us come in an hour late the next morning or two hours late the next morning. But that's not, that doesn't fix it, does it? That's sort of like that, that cumulative no. pressure from yesterday might take and, days to resolve or weeks or who, depending on the severity for that person. And it was, it's how it's handled during the pressure and stressor. So just a bit of context, my husband's a cybersecurity specialist. So, and he does training in that area. So like, he, I, I'm married, I'm married to the industry. <laughs> so for the past 11 years, I've lived and breathed it alongside him. And he's very atypical of the cybersecurity industry. And I've seen the impacts on him through those projects when the stressors are on. And because you're not just dealing in one time zone, are you? You're dealing across time zones generally. And you're not dealing in an environment where you've got a a skilled people person that can navigate and use all your strengths in a strategic way always. And so, you know, everyone's used to also working quite singular to a set of rules and protocols and, and being really pragmatic, you know, about what they do. So if you throw something at them where needing to work together 
in a way that's high stress, the glue's going to get brittle. You know, and that's when we start seeing those fractures and that's when we can start seeing falling apart because, you know, we're not keeping it malleable. We're not keeping it um, safe and secure. We, and we throw these the expectations things, in. And that's one of the things in cyber is that cyber teams are really great at developing playbooks and processes to deal with <laughs> the <laughs> technical bit, but no one thinks about the human beings executing that and what their right. emotional state is going through those particular things. So one of the things that I do is a profiling for disk profiling and motivators and strengths and so all what, of those other things. what's disk profiling? So disk profiling gives us a snapshot. It has these four quadrants where we're looking at focuses where someone, if they're a D style, they're quite dominant in personality. If they're an I style, they're an influencer. S, they're steady and paced and all of the rest. And C, which is majority of what I would presume the cybersecurity industry is, you know, your C style is conscientious and, you know, they love the rules to follow and the data to analyze. They're cautious and careful and love accuracy and quality. And so, but I'm like the I style, you know, social relationships and friendly environments and people and optimism and trust and all of these other aspects are my wheelhouse. And so when you've got, you know, these task-oriented guarded, closed in type of people, we tend to think that all that's going to move them is data and information and all of the rest. But that's not so, you know, because as you said, they're still human, they're still people and they still have these feelings, but they might be attached to something different than what a manager's mm -hmm. wanting from them. And that's interesting because what that then drives is what's the culture going to be like in that group? Because ultimately, when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with culture and every, yes. everyone brings their, their personal culture, accumulates into that team culture and then the corporate culture. So, I mean, when we talk about workplaces and culture, how do we create cultures that, that actually care and help people to do their jobs better and be supported in doing those? More and more, I'm seeing it come down to how safe people feel. You know, the I'm, I'm glad we're talking about mental health and we talk about mental health more and more over the past couple of years. But what the underlying aspect of mental health in, is in an organization is psychological safety. Psychological safety is the, the leading indicator of engagement, connectedness, productivity, the culture of care comes from how safe people feel and inclusion and diversity and organizational and personal resilience also kind of stem from that. Because the psychological safety is a place where you can turn up and be as your whole self, you can practice new things because practicing means sometimes you're not always getting it right. You know, so being able to have that appetite for, you know, uh, potential failure, you know, and being able to work in with others and have a cohesion, even though you're not exactly the same, to be able to work with each other's strengths and become more than the individual. And so a culture that, you know, works well, knows and understands that. So if you've got a group of people who are, you know, conservative fact finders, analytical and um, systematic, you can still have one of the most, you know, cohesive groups and caring groups of people because there's an understanding between one another of what each other needs. So long as then the organization 
sits within that and supports that and holds a safe place for that to happen. What are some of the practical things an organisation can do to help build that culture? Effective resources. In the, there's a new ISO standard out that's a partner to all the child of 45,001, which talks about is a WHS standard. And so the new ISO 45003 came out dealing with psychological safety. So it's the, the management systems for psychological safety in a workplace. And just as a side note, you can do training in that for free, which is amazing. And just go to 45003.org.au, all free training there. Providing support to employees so they can be psychologically safe, we look at effective resources. So those resources are known, seen, believed to be true resources. And it's the people resources, it's information, it's the policies and procedures around how we're going to look after each other and what we're dedicating ourselves to, building competence within the organisation. Traditionally, we have people in an organisation that do their job really, really well, and then it's like, right, you're next year manager. And then... There's some training or there's no training, but there's this expectation that they come out of being their, you know, analytical data-driven style to becoming a people person. Well, they're polar opposites. And it's the old, just because you're a good baker doesn't mean you're in the bakery. Exactly. You know, I grew up in the hairdressing industry. You know, it's the same type of thing. Just because they're a hairdresser doesn't mean they're going to be a good business owner. And so building competency is essential because it fills in those gaps and it enables a data-driven analyst to become a people manager of his type of people or her type of people. So it's building the relevant, appropriate competencies. And then increasing awareness, you know, of, you know what, things are going to go wrong, you know, and you come from a very much legislated industry, rules-based industry, protocol-based industry. There's got to be incident reporting. And so it's not just on the data incident. It also needs to be on the people incident. And, you know, when some things aren't going right, being able to report it, being able to talk to someone and say, hey, that's not how I want to be treated. If you've got an environment where someone can say that, it's the golden tip. And then being in the clear in communication about expectations, job clarity, you know, hey, tough time at the moment, everyone. I know that, you know, this group of people, their strengths lie in this area. Can they take on that part of the project? And I've got my other people here. Can you run interference between, you know, outside pressures and inside pressures to make sure that these people aren't disturbed? Use the strengths of people and being able to be really clear in what you expect from each other instead of just going dump, sort it out. I'll see you later. I'm going for a coffee. That's very practical. And it's, it's very supportive of the people doing the work at those moments, you know, it's, it's the classic is the, the, the best job that a manager can do is make sure that all the people doing the actual work is let them do their work and get everyone else out of the way. You know, it's not, about <laughs> yes. managing the pe- it's not about managing the people doing the work. It's about managing the people stopping you from doing the work. Oh, in a sense. Golden but, words right there. Put that up on your wall. Absolutely. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. And that's really, those are, those are really, really important things in terms of the tasks, I guess. Mm. and helping people just feel comfortable in doing the work and feeling safe in doing the work, whatever that work is, whether that's responding to an incident or deploying a new firewall or, you know, establishing a new policy or process or whatever. How does that impact the people's mental well-being? How can organisations help people, you know, be in an environment where their well-being is protected? 
feeling safe and feeling cared about and someone holding a space for you to be able to practice your profession means that you can bring your whole self to work. You're not self-protecting in any way. And when we're bringing our whole self to work, we're bringing all of those factors of mental health and well-being into play. We're coming up into a place where we can, you know, live in our abilities and explore our abilities. We can not just be productive, we can be fruitful and, you know, and we're contributing to a community. So all of those aspects that are important to our mental health, we've then got this freedom to be able to do and bring to life. And so we go from this surviving type of mentality to the ability to thrive. And thriving doesn't mean that we're happy, joyful and no problems, you know, mm-hmm. occurring. Thriving is, you know, despite and sometimes because of the challenges. You know, we all love a challenge. We all love to test our skills and to grow and to expand. Mm-hmm. But if we could do that in a way where we felt safe to do it, like, wow, like how, how much fun's that? The work becomes fun again. Mm-hmm. It becomes, I can't wait to turn up tomorrow I know there's a huge thing going on but I get to I get to learn from my colleagues I get to teach my colleagues I get to you know participate in something and at the end of the day we're going to have something achieved isn't that awesome Hmm. I mean I kind of think of it as you know there was a time when going to the office wasn't fun you know we had people were worried about you know flickering fluoros and you know (laughs) you know, really bland coloured walls and yucky orange carpet if you grew up in the 70s or 80s and all that kind of stuff, you know, and that that looked really awful and made workplaces really drab and uninteresting. And workplaces have done a lot to try to change that culture. You know, we now have, people can have a standing desk if they want. They can have, you know, a workspace that's customised to suit them. We don't worry about the flickering fluoros. In fact, we don't even worry about the fluoros falling off the wall and falling off the the ceiling and hitting us because we've got standards around all that. You know, we've got all these things for the physical workplace. Right. And we're now moving towards the, well, what's the, for want of a better word, the mental health workplace going to mm. look like? You know, what's the, what's the OH&S around that? And it does sit in OH&S. It does because there, you know, all of the things that you're talking about before would have sit in the physical aspect of OH&S, making a safe environment physically. And if you see a crack in the pavement as you're going through, you report it, right? It's simple because if that crack gets bigger, someone could trip over it and hurt themselves. So what we're talking about in, in the psychological aspect is avoiding psychological injury. So if we see something in the workplace that is potentially a crack that could widen, that someone could then trip over, it's doing the same reporting process because going from stress to distress is a tipping point. That tipping point is a psychological injury. Hmm. So it needs to be treated in the same way. Like there's codes of practice in New South Wales now that are embodying and bring to life the WHS Act. And it, this code of practice is, you know, really detailed in around these things, you know, managing those same risks. And we need to know what they are. You know, in each individual workplace, even though you might all be in the same industry, in each individual workplace, those cracks in the pavement are going to look different. And it depends on the purpose of the organisation and and who's leading it and with what mindset they're leading it. So 
we know when you walk into a, a, a bright and cheerful office, you know what that looks like. You know, you walk into a place and you go, hey, this looks like a good place to work. You know, it doesn't mean that they've got a slide from the, you know, from through the atrium for people to slide down instead of taking <laughs> stairs or something. But, you know, it's you walk in and you go, hey, you almost immediately get the feel of that's a, there's a good vibe in this place. It's the energy. Yeah. How do you, how do people create that? You know, what, what's a thriving workplace really look like? Not beyond the, you know, beautifully painted walls and slides and billiard <laughs> tables and ping pong tables and stuff. I know. I used, I've always said that it's not about the bean bags and lava lamps. So, and, you know, we had the years where my husband was working at Google. So, you know, all of those trappings are really lovely, right? But when you walked in there, it's just like, oh, you know. When he first started, it was just like, yeah, this place is really cool and everyone's buzzing. But a few years in, it's just like, oh, you know, where's the fun? You know, and no yeah. No point it's having def- a beanbag if no one can sit in it because the workplace culture doesn't let you do it. Right. I know. And so the workplace culture and the number one thing, you know, in a thriving workplace and one that's doing really well is connectedness. And it's that, you know, high quality interpersonal connection. So that's where teamwork is encouraged. Um, there's the, those trusting relationships are developed. Work and energy is put into being connected with your fellow people. And it's not through data-driven stuff and it's not through, you know, apps and all of these other things. It's just when are people being brought together in a way that allows them to be present with one another? You know, whether that's a lunchroom that's got a nice number of things in there where people feel comfortable to sit and share and break bread together, where there's an encouraged, you know, way and process of being able to have, you know, team meetings and things like that, where everyone feels included. Those types of aspects go a lot towards, you know, that feeling of connectedness. And it's that number one indicator of a thriving workplace. So, Superfriend on an annual basis does a report around, you know, indicators of a thriving workplace. And year on year on year, connectedness has always been number one. And so how do you create connectedness in an environment where people are generally task focused and not so much people focused? It's connecting the, the dots between those different tasks and being able to use people's strengths to enhance one another's work and if I think when we're strengths focused instead of gap or weakness focused it changes the dynamic of how people interrelate. Connectedness is is a really interesting challenge at the moment with we can't connectedness in the physical sense is really difficult to manage at the moment because so many workplaces have almost everyone working remotely most of the time these days. I think one of the things that's happened is it's a lot of a lot of organizations have started using um, for one of a better word, surveillance to to make sure people yeah. are at work. Um, and it's almost a bit like, you know, that beatings will stop when morale improves kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so like archaic, that. isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I mean how you know, I mean obviously that that causes more harm than good, doesn't it? And yeah. it really, if the aim is productivity, is that the best way to make things productive? Oh no. Like, you know, any, re- any reaction doesn't make anything better. It's, and there's been a massive loss of trust as a result. And for organizations that have done that, let me just say, if you were an employer of choice beforehand, you now no longer are. That one act will have people stop talking about how much they enjoyed their job. Hmm. And because it's not 
It's not your organizational results. It's not the profitability of an organization or productivity of an organization that attracts good employees. It's how other people are talking about it. And the cybersecurity industry are talkers when it comes to how well they've been treated in that organization. Mm -hmm. Anytime that you go on any of the websites that talk about employee experience, you see a lot of people from the cybersecurity industry talking about their impressions of the organization that they're working in or have worked in. And to lose trust, that that just that's one snap because mm -hmm. trust is the thing like we're talking cybersecurity. There has to be trust. Mm. It's a trust-based industry. And it's a really incredibly important factor in what you all do every single day. And to have someone break yours, I think it's a, it mm. creates a binary of yes, no situation, right? It's one of those things that's changing in workplaces, not just in cyber, but just in general across almost every sector is that people are suddenly realizing that the time you spend doing something is not necessarily correlated with the value of the outcome. No. You know, just because you're, just because you're not in the office doesn't mean you can't be productive. Doesn't just because you didn't spend nine hours on something doesn't mean you didn't get a good result or that sort of thing. Well, look, I'll give I'll give you an analogy. You know, I'm a working mum and you know, you have a look at the productivity results of working mums that work nine to three, you know, during those school hours or you know, even mm. nine thirty to two thirty, so they can drop off and pick up. Their productivity results and the volume of work that they get through has been proven to be just the same as their full-time staff mm. that are working 8.30 to 5.30, 6 o'clock. They're just not getting paid the same, but they're producing the same amount of work. So when people are wanting to be there and they've got their priorities right, they know what they want to do and they love coming to work and they love you know, what they do, they're going to get lots done in a really short period of time and then get on with the rest of their life. Now, what are you trying to measure? I want, I want the working mum. I don't want someone who's there going to be there 14 hours and doing the same amount of work. And is that also a factor, a function of focus? You know, giving people, when people know that they don't have to do the four extra meetings where they're just there because someone thought it'd be a good idea or right. those kinds of things. Yeah. Is, is that a big fact? Is that a big part of that as well? Well, and focus and purpose and intent, like all of those things come into play. So, you know, if let's, talk about this you know this working parent working parent because it, it's not just working moms it's a working parent that has those short times their purpose is really clear I'm going to be working this time to this time this is what I need to achieve and I'm going to achieve it anything that isn't necessary isn't going to get on my list of to do things so there's purpose and intent but there's also a clarity that they're communicating to the rest of the people around them of don't waste my time and so and I, and I wish every employee had this rule book to be able to go, you know what, if it's not in my wheelhouse, don't bring it to me, hmm. you know, and if you need some of my expertise in something that isn't necessarily in my wheelhouse, yeah, let's make a time for it, but be really specific in what it is that you need from me. So it's the, it's the bumper sticker, isn't it? Yet another meeting that should have just been an email. Not even an email, just get on with your own job. Like, you know, and yeah. if you need my expertise, be really clear and specific what it is that you need from me. And I guess that's one of the things is that when you're talking about workplaces and especially workplaces today, which let's be frank, over the last two years or so have 
almost completely turned inside out and transformed, people are seem to be a lot more outcome focused. And whether that's when you walk into a supermarket and it's about let's just get the transaction done as quickly and as safely as we possibly can, or it's a team of cybersecurity professionals distributed across multiple suburbs, cities, or even countries solving a problem. It's let's focus on the outcome we want, which is resolve the issue or solve the problem. And all the other stuff, all the other fluff that used to fill in all the blank spaces in our calendars, we get rid of. I know, two thumbs up on that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, so there's an ideal to that. Now, if we can also do that with that feeling of connectedness at the same time, then we've got a flourishing, thriving industry and community. And the connectedness is that personal interest in each other and oneself. So I, I listened to another podcast recently where they were talking about what they do as remotely connected teams. One of the strategies they had was just to say to people, just give a score out of 10 of how you're feeling and a score out of 10 about how you're going at work without any interrogation about what that score meant or how they got to it. It was just to be able to hear and understand that People are in different places at different times. I mean, are they the sorts of tactics you're talking about in a practical sense? Yes and no, because we don't, because we don't understand context, we don't understand measure. So if someone's experienced um, pain before in their life, and then we ask them that question of what's their pain feeling like now, they might give you a two. Whereas someone who's not experienced a lot of pain in their life, who's now experiencing the exact same time type of pain might give you an eight and so which one are we going to attend to the eight Mm. but then we can end up dismissing the two but they're still feeling pain so we need to make sure there's context in a measure and you know and we need to be specific clear and purposeful Mm. in what it is that we're wanting from it and so if we're putting out a measure and just saying hey just want to see how everyone's coping at the moment that's a better way because you're being clear about what it is that you want to know. It's not how happy someone is because guess what? Situationally, we're not meant to always be happy. But what we are looking for is satisfaction. You know, how satisfied do you feel with how you're doing at the moment? Great indicator. How are you coping at the moment? You know, is is stress getting to the point that it's becoming too much? Be really explicit in what it is that you want to know and make it, you know, so it can be anonymous and make it that something's done with those results. You know, we don't want to just leave someone sitting there and just go, okay, well, someone's stressed. What do we do now? And this is part of that building competency. And it's part of that competency is self-awareness, developing self-context, but also then developing context within the organization of what is this, you know, what are we going to do about these things? Mm. I often like to finish these just by trying to summarize, because we've covered a lot of ground here. We've covered, (laughs) you know, mental health, we've covered, you know, I didn't realize that there was an actual standard for this. You know, there's, there's free education that's available now, you've mentioned before, and you've talked about some of the tactics that people can use directly. Do you know, maybe if someone is, is sort of scrolling through this and listening to it at 1.5 or two times normal speed, and it's, it's sort of this point, what are maybe three things or three bits of key advice for employers and then three for employees as well? So three things for employers. Have a look at your obligations to create a psychologically safe workplace. It's the leading indicator for mental health connectedness, 
productivity, innovation, creativity, all of those things, psychological safety is the leading indicator. And I'm just going to put that out there as a one, because when you get that right, everything else happens, you know, because you're developing trust, safety, all of those other aspects. So the the way to do that is to have a look at the 45,003 standard. And you can do that by going to 45,003.org.au. I believe it's .au. Double check it. You'll find it. So the three things for people, doesn't matter where you are in a business, start understanding what it is that makes you feel safe. You know, what allows you to turn up as your whole self? What are the things that you need to do that? And I think because the the growth of a culture of care comes from the middle, it, it doesn't come from the top. The middle informs the rest of the organization. And it's those few advocates, it's those few champions, it's those few people that demonstrate quality care and control and safety that we need to start looking towards and going, I want some of that. What does that look like for me? And when you know that, start talking about that and start reporting that into the business. There are ways of doing that and for reporting that into the business. The, the second one is look after your mates. Be strategic in how you're going to do that because you don't want to be wasting people's time and, oh, it's our weekly check-in, everyone good, yeah, okay, good, we can move on. You want to be purposeful and explicit with what it is that you're wanting to achieve through connection. And, you know, being purpose, purposeful in that and clear in that I think is really important. Why do we want to stay connected? Well, it makes us feel good. You know, it makes us feel human. What are the aspects in that? So you're, you might have a weekly meeting where it's a context setting, setting, sorry, a context setting. You know, how's everyone going? What are their impacts? What are the obstacles? Do they need support or have they got it? Brilliant. And a third thing is, you know, build self-awareness and build, you know, your own competencies and capabilities in areas where you feel you could be doing more. So look at your strengths that you've currently got and build on those. And if you do have weaknesses, who around you can fill in those weaknesses? Celebrate where you're at. Celebrate who you are. You're magnificent. Look at what you've all achieved, you know, during this time. Celebrate those things. There's a, there's yeah. a fair bit in that. There is. It's, it's one of those interesting things, isn't it? When you talk about celebrate, often project teams celebrate when they finish, but they don't celebrate along the way. What, do you get time to? Particularly well. Well, you don't people are in that space, are they? Well, yeah, and, and to celebrate, it's just like, oh, I'm not going to big note myself. It's just a job done. What are you talking about? Hmm. we got to understand what celebrating is sometimes. Celebrating is the, you know, that sense of satisfaction and allow hmm. yourself to sit in that for those moments. And it's just hmm. taking a big breath in and going, hey, done that, awesome, yep. next. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time today, Julie. This has been, it's a fascinating topic for the rest of the OSCERT community. We, we often think about the technical challenges and, you know, all those kinds of things, but we don't often think about the people challenges in this sense. We often think about people being the, the weak, one of the spots in cybersecurity, but we don't think about what it actually means from a mental health point of view. So thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to speaking to you again one day soon. Thank you. Now it's over to the team from OSCERT. OSCERT's Business Director, Beck Chebb, and Mike Holm will talk to us about notifications, dumpster fires, and upcoming events and training. Thanks so much, Anthony. It's Beck joining you again from OSCERT, and in this episode, I'm here with Mike Holm. How are you doing today, Mike? Hello, Beck. It's lovely to be here, and thanks for this opportunity. 
I'm really excited about this month, actually. I, I think the interview with Julie Gillespie is, is really on point. It's something that we're really passionate about at Osset. We're always trying to find better ways to be advocates for, for good mental health and and how we can actually... This culture of care, actually, is mm. a really good phrase. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell our audience and you know, a few things that we've done at Osset, you know, trying to better ourselves mm. and, and broaden that reach? Every year, obviously, uh, we're reminded of this on Are You OK Day, but really it's, it's something that needs to be ingrained into what you do. Every, everything that you do, you need to think about how would this actually work for someone else? Everyone's different. Everyone has different ways of thinking, different ways of approaching problems, and different ways that they react to things that you say and do. And you know that's what creates diversity, and that's what's great about humans. As leaders, if we don't create an environment where they feel comfortable um, speaking their mind, saying what they think, then we'll just always have you know the same flavoured things going forward, and we, we will never progress. Example of that is when someone from the analyst team will say, "Look, I don't think we're doing enough about this. We should think of something new. We should try a new thing." So a lot of the the products and services that Osert has done over the years, and and this goes back many years, way before my time here, a lot of those products and services have come from analysts feeling that they can just they can make a difference. They can do something. So so we. We try and make sure that we've got you know good good health. We promote we promote health obviously. Like today, we actually did a, a walking club exercise. I skimped out on it, but several of us did walking club. We make sure that you know we have proper breaks. That we we it's not a sweatshop. You know we're here to learn and, and to have fun and to enjoy ourselves. But you know we're not we're not just working pointlessly. And there's there's a whole lot of other things that we do which you've been very much involved in. So one one good example has been the conference where you've managed to actually get several years in a row now some kind of either a lecture or a workshop in this case on mental health. Yeah, no, it, I, I think it's something that I, I love about our jobs here is that we can, yeah. you know, give a voice to some of these causes that we believe in. and Exactly. Yeah, but it's a, it is also a timely reminder to, to make sure we yeah. continue to, to focus and improve, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. You can't rest on your laurels. <laughs> Yeah, we might move into a bit of a detail about what's been happening in Osset the last month. Sure. I feel like that month has gone really quickly as uh, It did. But yeah, how about we start with the AP Cert drill that mm. happened just last week? Yeah, now this is, this is a little bit exciting. Every year the drill comes up and the whole point behind it is to actually get people collaborating and working together. Now this comes right back to what we just talked about. What better way to enhance your own mental health, to help the mental health of others, than to actually collaborate and work together on something? And if you get all of the like-minded people from a bunch of CERT teams all around the Asia-Pacific region, put them all in a virtual room and give them a, a problem to solve, just imagine what happens. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine. I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> these, these drills are designed to, to help you think through problems and step from one thing to the next. It's not meant to be a competition. So in no way is it, oh, this cert team's better than that cert team in that country over there. It's definitely not that at all. The whole point behind it is to actually upskill across the entire sector. So we had, I think there were 27 teams, I think, I forget the exact number, but we had participation across the sector, a couple here in Australia, of course, there was ourselves and the ACSC. We had two players, and for those who have never done these drills before, you have what's what's called players who receive uh, what they call injects, which is the, 
basically the prompt, you know, there's been an incident, here's the data about the incident, you know, those sorts of things progress through so that you can actually sort of follow, follow along and, and send responses back as if it was a real life incident. So our two players, we had Vishaka and Narayan, they're both, they're both new to Osset, fairly new. We've only had Narayan just this year and we had Vishaka last year. Baptism so, of fire. Oh yes, it really was for them, Beck. It really was. But look, they they knew basically what was going to come up. They knew from the the the, the materials from the drill beforehand. They they gave hints as to you know the incidents going to require, for example, someone to do packet analysis. So of course they both dived into using Wireshark and you know figuring out well how does that work? You know what what sort of skills am I going to need to learn? Did a little bit of work beforehand, and of course here we go again collaboration that got them to talking to each other, it got them talking to some of the other members of the analyst team to learn off and then on the actual day of course they raced through it. What they weren't told though was there is this super really difficult hard piece of malware that you're going to have to analyse and get an encryption key out of. So I won't go into too many of the details because you know, obviously some of the teams may not have gone through the, the final exercise yet but that was where they, they sort of came up against a bit of a brick wall because it wasn't something they'd ever done before. Interestingly, most of the other teams, in fact, I think all of the other teams, also got stuck on that point. So to actually get that far as two new members of the team was actually really good. And I, I had a bit of a, you know, I'm, I'm old now, I've been in cybersecurity for 20 odd years, and I had a little bit of a, a flashback to that, you know, that first moment when you do a packet capture and you find something in the data and you go, there it is. You know, I had that real epiphany of, oh, this is great. So I felt that for them, and then I could see they were excited about it. But then we came out of the drill and someone else here who is actually wears several hats, he's, he's a student across at UQ and he works part-time for us here as well, how she is his name, he, he looked at it and he went, I think I can do this. So he grabbed the piece of malware and he spent goodness knows how long, after hours, mind you, ripping this thing apart because, hey, that's what he likes to do in his this spare is time. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, and after he got it, so he did get it, after, you know, took, he admitted it, it took him quite a while, but he got it. And after that, he said, you know what, team, I want to come in and I want to show you what I did. So they had a session yesterday morning, they had a session where they actually played through all of the steps of what he did and the rest of the team were able to learn and, and understand, well, hey, this is how you do it. So as a, as a collaborative effort, that sparked not just different countries talking to each other, that then sparked a whole lot of learning experiences here for some of our newer team members. And oh, look, for me personally, it gave me that warm fuzzy of, wow, look at that they learn something new and that's exciting. I think that's what I love about it is, you know, I think when people say, oh, there's a drill and it's on at this time, it's like, okay, drill's finished, tool's down, everyone's yeah. finished. But, you know, this is yeah. down the path. People are still collaborating. They're still learning. Mm. They're teaching each other. And yeah, yeah. So that's such a great opportunity. They loved it. Yeah. It was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> so I think it's, it's really important there to maybe touch on the role that Jeff yeah, our um, operations manager played mm. in the drill as well. Absolutely, yeah. Look, Jeff took over as operations manager, what, a couple of years back now. And we, we've always been very thrilled to have Jeff here because he's actually worked in a couple of overseas locations, including a CERT, one of the major CERT teams overseas. And so he brought with him a wealth of contacts 
So all of those Asia-Pacific Asia cert teams that I was talking about before, Jeff personally knows a lot of people in those teams. Now this year, he credit to him, he very bravely put up his hand and said, I'm going to be on the organising committee for this drill and uh, coming together with a scenario of this is the incident, these are all the artefacts for the incident, this is what we expect the teams to do, all of those preparatory um, steps like that, that's a big undertaking. And he put a lot of his blood, sweat and tears into it, again, outside of office hours, um, which the official uh, word here is we don't condone working out of office hours. We're not a sweatshop, but yeah, look, this is this is his hobby, so he he really this is did enjoy by that. passion. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, he he was obviously sort of separate to the the rest of the operations of the team on the day, overseeing the entire operation of this across all of the Asia Pacific teams. So he yes, Jeff had a very big role to play on that day. Yeah, it's great. I think a lot of people external to OSET might not understand, you know, how much involvement we have in the APCERT community and, yeah. and how much we like to contribute and not just, exactly. um, it's not just incident to incident. Exactly. And, you know, that sort of thing is, I mean, you might sort of sit there and think, well, you know, OSERT is sort of very much inwardly focused into Australia. Why are we dealing with CERT teams all around the Asia-Pacific region? Well, actually, don't forget, cybersecurity is everywhere, and those contacts that we have in all of those CERT teams are really, really handy for, hey, look, we've got an incident that's affecting something in your country. We'd really like to be able to get some contacts over there. And knowing those people to, to reach out to are really, really important. And the same in, in reverse. You know, they'll sort of come to us and say, look, we've got a tip off about something that's happening in Australia. Here's some information you might like to look at. And so those relationships are incredibly handy. And those exercises like the drill mean that you know, you can nurture those relationships and keep them going and know those people really well. So yeah, it's, it's a very valuable community to be a part of. Awesome. So we might move into some of our services and I know this is something that you and I were both waiting on for a long time and mm. you know, back when we were able to visit our members interstate and I, I can't wait till we can get back to yeah. that because that, that verbal feedback and inter, you know, exchanging of ideas is great. But I know a lot of members have always asked us, why do I get so many bulletin emails? Why is there not like a daily digest of this? And so this is super exciting. You can actually have this now. Yes, We've got we it. can do it. <laughs> do you want to tell us a bit more about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. We're, we're very lucky. We Look, as you know, we're a not-for-profit and it's been very difficult over the years to just get the right number of resources to fuel everything we need to do for our members. So it's always been a matter of priority and what can we do, what can't we do. We've got a developer at the moment that just happens to have some um, excellent skills in this area. David's his name, so we're, we're very lucky. He's actually gone together and, and put a very nice digest of the bulletins, which are sorted by priority, and it'll be a single email that you get at a certain point in time each day. And if you want, you can just go straight into our member portal right now, the usual OSERT member portal, log in with your credentials, and you can just select it in the mailing lists. Nice and easy. It's that simple, and clear up that inbox. Yes. Um, I have to admit, I've been subscribed to this for a little while, and so each evening mm. at the end of each business day, you get this beautiful email, easy refer to referable list, yep. work your way clickable links, yep. the whole lot. Brilliant. And if you're looking for instructions, just jump on the OSET website under our publications. We've got um, some how-to guides there on how to subscribe to them, so it's pretty simple. Oh, yes. I think Amber wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a big team effort to get that one off the ground. It was. <laughs> which is great. Lastly, I just want to touch on, you know, I guess this is something where we're, we have a little project code to we This will be a bit of a, an MSIN expansion is the way that we're seeing it. But do you want to tell us a little about Eric's project? Yes, yeah, certainly. So Eric, Eric's been with with the university for a very long time. 
he he was actually around when Ossert was four, which I think is absolutely amazing. We all look up to Eric. He did he, he did move away at one point, but he saw the light and he came back to Ossert, which is amazing. Anyway, we've I'm laughing because we've come up with an internal project name for this, and it's the dumpster fire notifications. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not from the marketing team. That no. One. So basically, as you say, it is very similar to an MSIN in that it, it is an indicator of vulnerability. So when when a brand new vulnerability comes out and you know a point in time a thing happens, like just recently, only a couple of weeks ago, we had the Confluence vulnerability came out. And of course, Confluence is sometimes internet facing. So if you're using it and facing the internet, how easy is it for someone like Assert to search across something, perhaps Shodan. There's other sources, of course, but Shodan is a very easy one to use. You can grab the data from that. Now, we know a lot about our members. We know about most of their IPs and domains, and that's and this is a bit of a plug. Members, make sure that your IPs and domains are up to date in our member portal. Perfect but if we know, that, <laughs> we know that information, we can use those searches and we can find information about which of our members may be vulnerable to some of these things. Now, in the case of the Confluence one, we couldn't actually tell if you were vulnerable, but we could tell if you were running uh, Confluence. That was easy. That was a showdown search. Now, of course, the number of members we've got means that it's, you can't do this in a manual fashion. So what Eric did, of course, was script this all up into an automated process. So as soon as we're aware of something that is a vulnerability that may affect you, if it's an internet-facing vulnerability, the Exchange one was another example where we, we did this. We can we can grab this data. We can see who in our members uh, may have it or could be vulnerable to it. And we can send you out a dumpster fire notification so it's it's a it's a new service that we're doing it's still in beta but at some point it, it will no doubt be uh, branded under msins or something similar like that and uh, you'll see a, a proper product name for it but for now internally at least it's the dumpster fire <laughs> uh, well, look what i love about it is members are already benefiting from exactly. it exactly no, d- despite its name and it's an added layer of protection right you know That's we, right. we send out these bulletins we send out alerts mm. members have to work their way through it but this is yeah. So that's great, and and I I'm sure it's something that members um will appreciate, and and if you don't get it, then you also can breathe a little sigh yeah. of relief that it's not you. That's right. We didn't find it. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, well, I think that's um a good wrap up for the month. And thanks for joining me this afternoon. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Beck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the Ossert Podcast. And thanks to our guest Julie and the team from Ossert. We'll be back next month with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about OzCert, be sure to visit ozcert.org.au.